Chappie. Yeah. It is a gay dating app, and it takes a stand against prejudice in the gay community. It's about time. Chappie right? users, they, they agree to a pledge within the app to treat others with kindness and respect and dignity. Imagine that. So nice. You know, we talked about it last week. I created an account. I went on. Yep. Why not? Who'd you see? Uh, neighbors. Oh. Friends. Oh. And nice people. Now, do you think it's called Chappie because it's like chaps and it also is an app? Oh, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, you, can, you might have a point there. I mean, it's the first app that lets you choose your Mr. Right. Your Mr. Right now, they have this innovative sliding, uh, innovative sliding scale. Yep, it's all faces you're looking at. Yeah. Next to your Facebook account. So it's faces. You're not talking to nipples. No. You're talking to people, and the people take a pledge to be nice to you. It's a revolution. You can actually have, like, conversations with people. Imagine that. Wow. Head on over to your app store and download Chappie to meet the right guy for you, or just have some lovely conversations. Be a part of a community that does not stand for prejudice. Dave, have you listened to Dr. Game Show yet? I haven't yet listened to Dr. Game Show yet. Well, get on it because it's the cult favorite radio show, and it's now part of your wall. Oh, boy, watch your tone because it's a cult favorite. You don't want it to be too popular. Shh. Okay. In, In each episode, hosts <laughs> Joe Firestone and Manolo Moreno, they play... Listener created games with their comedian friends <gasps> and listener Collins. Oh my God. In a recent episode, they had Will Butler from Arcade Fire and his five year old son as a guest. A five year old pothead. Shh, shh, shh. Sorry. No, I know. But listen, they, they played games like What's Your Primary Utensil? Fork. And Rad Dad. Yay. And Sauce Boss. Uh, Marinara. And there's really no way that an ad can even express how crazy and funny this show is. You just got to hear it. Listen and subscribe to Game Show. Yeah, the secret's out. Forget uh, it. Yeah. We were trying to keep it a cult thing. No. We're shouting it from the rooftops. Get Dr. Game Show on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And follow them on Facebook and Twitter so you can participate when they record episodes. Dear gay people. Oh, I like uh, it. See what I did there? I see exactly what you did there. Have we got I, a show for you. Mm. A Christmas uh, slash non-denominational holiday gift from our heart to yours. Oh, boy. What a what a lovely time we had with our guests. Truly a special, special episode. Our, our yeah. first field trip as a podcast. That's exactly right. We went to the, uh, to the set, yeah. to the production home of Dear White People. That's right. Uh, out, well, we can't tell you where it is. No. We'll, I also like if you asked me to tell you where it was, I couldn't we'll tell never, you where it was. We'll never find it, was it again. Deep Valley in an area where I will probably never go again. But it was uh, it was lovely. It was lovely, and our interview was fantastic. Yeah, we're so excited for you to hear it. Buckle up for that. That's a really good one. Um, we talked holiday stuff, and we talked a bunch of other fun gay stuff. Dave, mm-hmm. what's on your holiday agenda? Well, okay. First of all, um, uh, doing a typo on the word Christmas a million times is on my list of things to do. Somehow, it's a word I can never get right the first time. I know how it's spelled. Really? It's just my fingers do it wrong. I do Christams. I do Christman. <laughs> I, do it all, I do it wrong all the fucking time. I thought you meant an intentional uh, Xmas. I thought you were just no. trying to take the Christ out of Christmas. No, no, I would never. You would never. You want Christ in there. Obviously. It's just hard to get the other part it's, of it. Yeah, the must somehow. The hmm. devil's me. Uh, but my mother is coming to town yes. for a week. Uh, it is, uh, it is our, I mean, not to bring the room down, but it is my, our first Christmas post dad. Yeah. So, uh, so we're like, we're springing her from St. Louis. She's going to be out in LA where it's nice and warm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do uh, Christmas tacos in the backyard with, uh, with a handful of friends. Keep it super chill. 
So fun. I'm very, very excited. Uh, you're a very good son, and I'm well, sure she's very excited. Gonna talk to me in a week. It's gonna be it's gonna be a special Christmas. No, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And you? Uh, also doing family stuff. Michael's family is here right now. Mm-hmm. We're having a ton of fun. They are staying with us at our house, and uh, they have turned it into an actual home. There is a Christmas tree. There was there not a Christmas tree? No, there was not a Christmas tree. There was not uh, like proper dishware has happened. The full fully stocked turkeys are being brined and grilled. There's a new wow. grill. There's a new this. There's uh, everything. By the way, uh, shout out to his sister Gabrielle who uh, has a startup called Crickstart. She's not a sponsor of the show. This is not an ad. But Crickstart, do you know what the uh, do you know about the well, the cricket protein revolution? This I do a, know a little about it. Yeah, this is a thing that is like uh, bec- like cricket protein. I guess is the most sustainable kind of protein that yeah. crickets don't need water. I have heard the explanation and I don't remember it. But uh-huh. the point is, she and her friends have this startup where they make it's like protein bars and uh, protein powders and. Crackers and everything. Cricket and crackers. I know crackers. it sounds tricky, sure. but it's really good. Really? Yeah. The bars literally taste like Lara bars. L- a Lara bar with less sugar. Interesting. You can get over the strangeness of the cricket factor. Well, listen. They say we all like swallow like 28 spiders a night or something like that. Like, you know, no, 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 we, no, no. It's something like that. It's somewhere – I think my math is exactly right. It's, I mean, <laughs> we, we have – you know, you've, I've gotten bugs in the mouth on a long bike ride. Yeah. I've, you know, it's not my first time around the eating a bug. I hope – I bet that's part of their sales pitch. Hey, guys, we've all chomped on a bunch of spiders. Yeah. We're all taking a bug to the face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like that. So anyway, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of crickets happening in my house. And then this weekend right. I'm going to New Jersey slash Philly to see Birth Mom – her whole family. Uh-huh. I have a uh, niece there I haven't met yet. Uh-huh. It's action-packed. Fantastic. Yeah. I are, love it. Are there holiday movies or well, music that's going to be like a, a, a must-have in your house? Um, well, I'm only listening to Holiday Soul on Sirius XM. Ooh. Getting R&B versions of, uh, of holiday classics, sure. holiday standards. Also, all new Christmas songs from the likes of Keith Sweat. Ooh. And uh, and uh, you know Will Downing and and a lot of Lettucey. There is basically a different version of this Christmas every hour on. Everybody's the hour. done it. And literally every R and B artist has recorded that song. I know. I remember discovering that and thinking like, wow, this is such an uh, like a hidden gem. And then realized, oh yeah, no, literally everyone has covered it. Yeah, everybody in the world has covered it. Um, there are a lot of vocal gymnastics. There's a lot of melisma. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's it's really it's really something. It's it's a it's a, it's a fresh take. <laughs> uh, Movie wise, I I went to a screening of uh, the Greatest Showman. The other night. Oh, which is which about is, the Barnum? P.T. Barnum. Yeah. It's Hugh Jackman. It's Zac Efron. It's uh, Michelle Williams. It's Zendaya. I didn't uh, know we had Michelle Williams and Zendaya. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's Elephants. And it's an actual musical? It's an actual musical, by which I mean there are like four songs that they reprise a million times through the whole thing. Um, it is the, – the, the selling point – is that it's the the lyric the lyricists behind La La Land? Ah, uh, okay, okay. So yeah, so those are those are the the words that you'll be showing up to see. Great. Um, the songs themselves, it's it's like a musical if all of the songs were variations on "Hanging by a Moment" by Lifehouse. Uh huh. Not familiar. Um, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Go to a Ralph's. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, it's um, it is a it is not. Unproblematic. 
this movie. Mm. It's it's interesting. It's beautiful. It will literally switch your brain off and keep it off for an hour and 45 minutes. That's a pretty good endorsement. But it's, you know, it's about a guy who got rich exploiting, you know, bearded ladies and, you know, unnaturally tall or fat people or whatever. Yeah. And and those people are in this movie and they're kind of also exploited in this movie. But then they get this big born this way number and everything's supposed to be okay. And it kind of – isn't? I think they're also banking on like, oh, we've got a Hugh Jackman and a Zac Efron. A yeah. lot of stuff for the gays. Yes. It's a musical. Oh, sure. flock to this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they uh, they don't kiss, so I'm just going to let yeah. you know about that oh, right well, away. Well, okay. Spoiler alert. Big spoiler. You know people are so fucking pissed at us about right. our spoilers, which you did a, 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 a legitimate one with the movie yes. Mother. That's That yes, was a true yes, spoiler. That was a real spoiler. I did lead with, in this movie, a baby gets eaten. Yeah. And <laughs> I've just done again. it again. There it is again, I've guys. I've just done it again. Um, I we talked last week about that movie, The Shape of Water, and people uh-huh. were angry. But I, what did I spoil? That she fucks the, the fish the creature? That's literally the premise of the movie. That's in the trailer. <laughs> And and people are saying that I'm uh, that I, I was misogynist because I said she was childlike, and uh-huh. it was weird to see a childlike person also be so horny. And it's like I, I don't like I just uh, she she's it has nothing to do with the fact that she's mute, uh-huh. completely separate thing. She literally imitates Shirley Temple. Yeah, this is a childlike person sure. who also wants to fuck, and <laughs> she wants to fuck a fish creature. That yeah. is gross, and I, I stand by that. <laughs> So has that kept you away from the movie theaters for the holiday season? I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah, I really went out on a sour note with that one. No, no we got, we, you know, there's some screeners at home. We might uh-huh. try to get some in, but yeah, what am I going to watch? Exactly. Oh, am I going to sit through the Last Jedi with uh, an 85 year old woman? No. Hell no. No, no. So I think yeah, it might be over for now until the post comes out. Oh, which was designed to be watched with your parents over Christmas. Yeah. It was like created in a lab. Watched it the first night they were in town. Of course. Of course. Uh, Should we get right to Justin Simeon? Let's get to the show. He is the he's the writer, director, creator of Dear White People, the movie and the Netflix show. And he is uh, he creates and exudes a vibe of just pure wisdom and coolness. Yeah. Uh, We never wanted to leave his office. That's right. But eventually security came and we had to. We'll be back with Justin Simeon. Well, let's get into it, Matt. We got a very special treat from our uh, friends at Dollar Shave Club. Mm-hmm. It's called the SSS kit, I believe. Uh, yes. for shit, shower, and shave. That is exactly what it, uh, it stands for. Yeah, we, we both got those in the mail I don't recently. like bathroom talk, but hey, it's something that we all have to do. It's a fact of life, my friend. Uh, I, in fact, have used their products. I've taken the beard down a little bit. I've been using, I've been using some, of their, some of their creams, wow. their salves, et cetera. Wow. Uh, the, uh, the SSS travel size uh, box extravaganza also comes with – let's talk about them. Butt wipes. Yeah. Uh, they would I, never call it that because they're a dignified company. It's I'm reading right off the paper. What? It says butt wipes. What? Yeah. Oh my god! Literally butt wipes. And uh, they're okay. so real. Here's the thing: they're single use. They they're individually uh, wrapped. They are. And this this set me on my heels a little bit. They are a uh, peppermint scented. Oh, said, ooh, peppermint and downstairs. Happy holidays. Is that a thing? Are, are those two things that go together? Guess what? Yes, they do now. They do now. It's not. Uh, it's not what you think. It's nice. It's a yeah. nice experience. 
And then of I course, don't know if we're doing a good job. So I think, I, honestly, I think we're opening some eyes. I hope so. Don't be afraid of peppermint around your butt area. Yeah. Just look, be careful. You, got, you can use them for everything. They've got you covered head to toe. Uh, gift memberships, e-gift cards. DSC can help cover the names on your holiday shopping list. Uh, if you're doing some last-minute uh, holiday shopping, Dollar Shave Club has gotcha. Uh-huh. We want you to love them as much as we do. So we've made an arrangement with our friends at Dollar Shave Club. We want you to try their first month of their best razor, along with travel size versions of their shave butter and body cleanser, and those delicious peppermint butt wipes Mm-mm-mm-mm. for five bucks. Ooh. And then after that, you get the replacement cartridges. They ship for just a few bucks a month, which is the DSC starter set. Yep. Get yours for five bucks exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash homo. It's dollarshaveclub.com slash homo. You know what the highlight of my Thanksgiving was? Uh, Tell me. Watching the peach scene of Call Me By Your Name next to (sighs) my mom, Evelyn McConkey, at the Arclight. (laughs) (sighs) Tell me her reaction. Just awe. She just had like a like a like a like a naughty little smile. I mean, she was enamored by the movie because everybody's enamored by the movie. Of course, who wouldn't be? What a great film! I'm debating seeing it again with my own mother this holiday season. Um, and uh, yeah, it will be interesting no matter what my choice is. Uh, Sony Pictures Classic presents "Call Me by Your Name," the new film by Luca Guadagnino, written by I think James. That's how you say that? Yes, and written by James Ivory, based on the acclaimed book by Andre Ackerman. Call Me By Your Name is a sensual, transcendent tale of first love starring Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> Michael Stokebar. Am Night Shyamalan is in this movie? Yeah. I did not see him. That must have been the twist. I got all those names perfectly. <laughs> They've already got three Golden Globe nominations, Best Picture, and uh, some other ones. <laughs> Listen, we've been talking about it for weeks. We love this movie so much. If you haven't seen it yet, I can't imagine what being on the internet must have been like oh. for a gay person. My God, you must have had to have been off Twitter and Facebook for this whole time. Frankly, your life is probably better for that, but that, whatever. Uh, Timothée Chalamet has won uh, several Best Actor awards in the past month. He is so, he is so great. Uh, Army Hammer star. is so unbelievably uh, sexy. And there's, uh, in addition to the aforementioned peach, there's a great deal of fresh produce. Yes, and yes. Uh, and and meat and fish. The, the most aspirational lifestyle you could possibly it's, possibly live. God, it's it's just perfect. Anthony Lane of the New Yorker calls it an erotic triumph. And I call Anthony Lane of the New Yorker right. Guys, Call Me By Your Name is now playing in select cities. It's coming to a theater near you on January 19th. Go. Get at it. Go see it with your mom. You guys, we've just been yapping away. Yeah. Late. So we're just gonna we're gonna dive right in. We're here with Justin Simeon. What's up, guys? How are you? I'm really good. I'm at the end of uh, production on season two of Dear White People. That is very exciting. So excited. Yeah, I'm like slowly regaining consciousness again and like sleeping for sure. hours now at a time. Wow. It's really nice. <laughs> when does season two come out? Well, we don't know yet. Um, we're delivering it uh, right now. So we're like we're cutting, we're editing, we're in heavy post production. So uh, it's kind of up to the the Netflix overlords when it comes oh out. Boy. I think it'll be around the same time, but I don't really know yet because they don't really have that like regular slate thing. Right. Like other other networks. Yeah. Well, do whatever. exactly. On yeah. the other end of the TV spectrum, before we started recording, mm. you were speaking very eloquently about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which it. premiered this week. Obsessed with it. And you feel like Dorit is sort of learning the game. Yeah. I Because when I saw her last season, I was like, whoa, is this going to be like a, 
a Camille situation. Yeah. Because as we all, of course, know, Camille Grammer. Uh, <laughs> you know who Camille Grammer is? I she's, know she yes, is, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know that she's no longer with the show, but I don't know. Well, she's actually back this season, she's and back. thank God. And let me tell you why it's so exciting. Because when Camille was first on the on the series, she was like the bitch character, I guess, for, the, for her first season. And she was able to, like, clearly after watching that first season, she was able, like, you know, when she was getting divorced from Kelsey on, of course, like, in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she was able to turn around and literally like the internet calls her Saint Camille now because she was able to stay compelling but transform from a bitch to a character that we love but also stirs up a bunch of shit so we're glad she's around yeah. um, and so I'm just excited to have her back and I think Dorit is trying to make a similar turn because last season I don't think she came off very well yeah. I feel like she watched that season she's coming with the wigs this season and she's trying <laughs> to like slowly I, I think be a, a more sympathetic version of herself on the show so does camille have a diamond is a diamond the beverly I think she's got a diamond i feel oh. like i saw she was ve- she was very much in the premiere episode and i i believe i saw a gif of her like you know tagline or whatever yeah yeah i'll be honest like you know i'm not like wa- i'm not scrutinizing the show when it's oh, on so i might have missed that but i think she's back this season i can't wait i hope she's back i've missed her i've i missed have missed her it's always really good to see her um i'm a big lisa renna fan mm. uh we'll talk her a little bit um do you remember when um the, do you remember the uh the dinner party from hell yeah, of course can you describe that for dave and that was that was what is that where the psychic kept saying like really shady stuff to was it camille and uh I kyle i think oh it was to kyle yes. that's I right like, i think it was Cam- psychic yeah i think it was camille psychic and she okay i'm honestly i'm probably butchering this because it's been a while yeah i believe it was camille psychic who got really drunk and was just like well your relationship is gonna end yeah. in a year <laughs> like it was she was just being very shady yeah and it just exploded into this like ridiculous drunken psychic induced like television fight and she's vaping through the whole yeah, she's thing she's vaping that's right weird layer weird like smoke thing but i feel like sometimes smoke doesn't come out like it's yeah, a yeah, very yeah. it's it's hectic like it's very stressful <laughs> yeah. um in all of the best ways a dinner party that was not from hell Never on that show. No. All of that. And what I love about them is that they're so they're so believable when they're like, you know what? We're just gonna get together. We're gonna have a girls' trip mm-hmm. or a girls' brunch or a girls' whatever. And everything's everything's gonna be fine. Like we're just gonna bring everybody in. They're gonna make peace. It's just gonna be lovely. Yeah. They all they seem they seem like they believe themselves when they're yeah. saying it, which I think is like part of the charm of the show. For me, is that like I kind of watch it the way people watch like wrestling. Like you know it's fake but that's not why you watch it like I don't watch it because I believe that this is their lives I watch it because to me it's almost like a competition show of like Mm -hmm. who can have the most camera time and remain likable like you have to be both and that's a very tricky thing to pull off so I'm just like in Beverly Hills like they're all like former actors and they're very beautiful and they're all you know they've been in this Hollywood Los Angeles culture so they're all very clear about what they're doing it's like an all-stars kind of thing and so I don't really 
really buy into them as people per se, but I buy into them as like, you know, women who are like competing for like the best storyline in yeah. airtime. And I, in, in some way that is more captivating to me than if I genuinely believe that this was their lives. Okay. You know what? You've, you've opened up a window mm. into this franchise mm-hmm. because I've been, I've been looking for a way in for a long time. Yeah. That's been my mission since we started really. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's long before. I will say I've never seen a frame of uh, Orange County. Okay. Ugh. Um, that's not my uh, fave. Yeah. Okay. I don't, um, I don't think I've ever seen whatever. I've seen some of uh, New Jersey. I've seen some of Atlanta. I've seen some okay. of uh, Beverly Hills. And I just like, I, I, I tune out after like two episodes. Sure. It's just people being nasty to each other. Right. It makes me a little bit crazy. Okay. So what you're saying is that people show up and they put it all out there. They leave it all on the field. Yes. Right? And then they don't know until it airs. Who they are. I think that they have an idea. It depends on what producer they're working with and how that relationship. First of all, here's the thing. I genuinely want to intern on the house. Like, I just want to know how the sausage is made. Like, I've yeah. been dying to know this for a long time yeah. because there's like literally when my boyfriend and I watch it, we just like throw theories back and forth of how the scenes came together. Like, yeah, we have, you know, we're like, OK, I bet they had this fight in October and then they came back and they shot the scene that led to the fight. And like, we're always trying to figure out how mm-hmm. they make it. But I think that there are some housewives who are just very aware of what what genre they're in. And I think they have the right producers to help them plug into everyone else's storylines my theory i have no idea uh you know they i think it's like all about who works their producer the best to yeah. plug into the right storyline and still like have enough friends at the you know quote-unquote friends at the end of the season to where like they'll come back next season and it makes sense yeah you have to have some alliances you have to have alliances which is why like you know one of the things that you often see with the housewives is at the reunion special like because they're really mad about shit like i do think that the fights are real yeah. i'm not sure if they're not if they're mad about the thing that they're saying they're mad about on the show but they're these are real emotions that we're seeing so my favorite is when they have a reunion special and everyone hates each other and then magically the next season you know what we talked it over and we're good now uh-huh. and i feel like that talking it over was like here's the deal you can come back if right. you can find someone else to tape with you because right now everyone hates yeah, yeah, yeah. And shit goes down in the interim, and then they come back, uh, you know, slightly revised from the previous <laughs> season. Yeah. And it's like, it really is like watching an ongoing competition reality show for yeah. me. I just like. With some of the most compelling female characters. Absolutely. On TV, like, and the best is that they are. Because here's the thing, when I first kind of started watching it, I was like, oh, God, this is like a form of blackface. And there are some reality TV shows that are a form of blackface. Um, but especially Atlanta, I was like, oh, God, there's you know, a bunch of black women fighting on TV. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. But what happens with some of them, not all of them, is that the women are so self-aware that it starts to become a meta show like Atlanta is meta at this point like I'm not even sure if the women live like I don't know if Kenya lives in Atlanta or if uh, you know uh, Nini spends all her time in Atlanta but they are so aware that they are playing a housewife character and we're aware that they're aware that we're aware that like it's just like it just makes it all okay and sometimes they're doing a good job and sometimes they're not you can see the scenes of them playing the character and that's part of the fun of watching too well now the now Lisa Vanderpump who used to sort of be like kind of the queen of the Beverly Hills franchise now her character is sort of like she's sort of positioned as a person who is always trying to create storylines but they don't always work out Mm. and the fact that they're like even that meta with how they characterize people on the show to me makes it just so fascinating because they're they say things like oh you just wanted to tape with me and oh you're just looking for a story they just say that oh that's interesting and they leave it all in the show it's really great it's really that makes it interesting yeah okay all right so now yeah so now it is a meta commentary on the show so now Mm -hmm. okay 
Now, now I think I have a foothold. Wow, you have a new viewer, and they get <laughs> to, fan. and you see That's them right. like build businesses off of it, and like mm-hmm. you know the album releases are not as successful unless they're Erica Jane or Candy Burris, but like you, see, they really make like a life for themselves yeah. off of this kind of silly show. It's yeah. an interesting. I don't know. It's a. I don't know quite how I feel about it. Like I feel like it's probably problematic, but I just find it so entertaining, and especially mm-hmm. because we. I make TV for a living. Like the last thing when I come home from this show, I want to do is watch something like intellectually stimulating because yeah. I'm super stimulated already. <laughs> yeah, I'm super good after I leave the set of Dear White People. I just want something on that like requires very little barrier to entry, yeah. and, and that's my show. <laughs> Why won't it work with gay men? Um, They've tried a couple of times, and it just never. Have you tried, seen any of those? They you see a Fire Island. Fire Island. Well, the problem. Uh, some of it is budget. I'm just going to be honest. Like mm-hmm. some of those shows are not produced at the level of the Housewives. Like the Housewives, I think is like a pretty. It's a well produced show. Like they film, they get fights on camera, and then I think they go back and refilm. Like it's a. There's like a. There's a machine behind yeah. it that I don't know that the gay shows have ever really had. You know, because. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just don't I think everyone's afraid of stereotyping. So I think like, you know, say Bravo or VH1, I think everyone's afraid to have a gay show and not be a gay network, I think. Yeah. And so maybe that's why I'm not really sure. I also think that the self-awareness thing is hard, like gay men, even maybe ones who aren't necessarily mm-hmm. fancy themselves to be super self-aware. Mm-hmm. And that makes it harder to like, kind of sneaks that in, meta thing. It kind of sneaks into the million dollar listing franchise. Like there's mm-hmm. a few gays in those like house, like, you know, um, uh, real estate agent yes, shows. Yes, yes. And certainly, I mean, Drag Race is the best reality competition show oh, in the history of reality sure. competition shows. So they, they sneak their ways into other people's shows. But you're right. It hasn't really worked. And I think part of it is that you can't. The, it works the best if you don't really believe that you're the person that's in the show. Like it requires yeah. the ability to play a character and be comfortable with the idea that like America sees you that way, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily who you are. You have to be cool with that. And I think we are necessarily, you know, gay folks. I think we're necessarily very conscious about how we're seen. Like that means a lot to us. It, it has to. So I think it is harder to find a person that, that that's that or a, a cast of people that, that are that comfortable with themselves to so where they can yeah. really give you really good TV and like, you know, be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it's harder really to find point, actually. Yeah. What? Well, so, um, what can you tell us about season two of white people of dear white people? Well, oh, of, people. <laughs> season two of white people. Well, that was a really good one. Uh, it began in the 1800s. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, like, you know, I, I, I come from like an indie filmmaker background. So, you know, I can never really be satisfied. Like, okay. So the first season I thought was successful I, creatively. I thought like we accomplished everything we wanted and I could not come back and just do that format with new storylines. Like yeah. it, it just, was not going to work for me that way. So we came back. I was really um, inspired, I guess is the right word, but also taken aback by just the shift, the cultural shift, particularly about race and particularly online. Um, You know, there was like this weird backlash to one of our teaser trailers, which was odd because the movie had been out for like a couple years and the teaser trailer was pretty benign compared to that. Um, So we got a lot of trolling from like the Mm -hmm. alt-right. We got like, you know, I personally did like a very deep dive into like the 4chan world and like the, the bot world just to like get a sense of how they talk and how they operate. And I poured a lot of that into this season. And um, 
I was just really interested in like, why is it that we can't talk about race? Like, why is it that I can't say something like white people and have white people feel so triggered by it? Like, why is that? Why are we having so much trouble? And what I kept, you know, landing on is like, there's just a bunch of stuff about our country and about ourselves and about race that we just don't know. Like, we don't have to know it. We don't, we're not taught it in school. You know, we're taught that slavery happened and then it ended and then reparations and now black people are fine. That's kind of what you learn. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more that <laughs> was going on and went mm -hmm. on that black people we just know about because we have to. It's like a mechanism of survival. But not everyone is, is like playing at the same knowledge base. So I was really interested in this idea then of misinformation and like, what are all the things that like have us completely unprepared for the present? because we're just not aware of our own personal pasts or the past of ourselves as, as a community. So that's a really highfalutin way of saying like this season for me was all about like the secrets that people keep. Yeah. And it was about like, you know, the internet and addiction to the internet. And, you know, what does it feel like? What is that impulse to like get the, the dopamine hit every time you tweet? And is that like ruining or is it helping civil rights? Like I just, mm -hmm. I got into that cause that's what was happening to me. And we just wanted to come and like really outdo ourselves and also go places that you didn't think we would go uh, after seeing our first season. So I could say that much. <laughs> uh -huh. Also, like all of the relationships and all the soap stuff, we, we just keep we keep pushing that. Great. I think I think the who people end up with and I think that'll be really fun for people to watch. Um, I definitely go deeper into Lionel's sex life this season, oh, wow. which um I've always wanted to do, but you know, it's an ensemble show. So you can't like, just go, you know, like we have to take our time with each character. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of surprises and there's a lot of surprise guests too. I'm so excited. Yeah. Exciting. Coming sometime. Coming soon. I mean, it's coming soon. Everyone is like really excited. I think, you know, Netflix, they've got their algorithms and weird science that I'll yeah. never understand to pick when these things come out. Um, but they seem really happy with the show. And I just feel like, I don't know. We just put our foot in the season. I don't know what else to say. We really just like, we got to just give everything we have. I mean, one of the coolest thing, everyone is like trying is kind of like struggling to figure out how do I make stuff that's about this time and yeah. still make it good yeah, while yeah, there yeah. is still a message. And like, I think one of the coolest things about it is that you're, it's never preachy because you're able to depict characters who are sometimes in their lives preachy understandably exactly, so yeah. but like in a in a realistic way because that is a big part of like academia yeah and know. it's a big part of being you know black right now yeah. because so many people are confused <laughs> and so you're in a position where you have to constantly articulate to others or to yourself the way the world is because like you know People will like the way America works is you'll get slapped in the face and be told that like slaps don't exist. I mean, that's what it feels yeah. like to be black. And so you have to constantly be able to like articulate what the nature of your oppression is because it's so like subtle and it's so like subversive. And then to others, especially on the Internet, who are like, you know, just so triggered or, or believe that like somehow they've been attacked when someone talks about racism, you then have to articulate to them what it is that you mean. And now we have like this, this think piece culture. So everyone is always articulating a point right now, I think in culture. So it gives us the excuse to have characters that do that all the time. And I think for me, the trick is like, I don't want to talk about something conceptual. Like I want to talk about something personal 
And we can use the concept as the lens, like we can use misinformation as the lens. But the idea of like not really or or the idea of like trying to figure out who we are and communicate with each other when we have different opinions or ideas of how the past was. That's a thing that humans will always have. You know, that's a Mm -hmm. theme that is is ancient. That's a human nature thing that I happen to be talking about through the lens of of misinformation, the lens of, you know, being black in in a white dominated society. But the thing that we're talking talking about is a fundamental thing of human nature. And that's how we like, I think that's how we get away with kind of being of the moment, but also not fully of the moment. I feel like the show will work even outside of this moment because we're talking about a thing that will always happen in some form or another. Yeah. I also love that. Like, it sort of, it it sort of, um, as a pre-response to the backlash, the token white character is <laughs> a, is a really good guy and and really smart and, and 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 has like a good understanding of his unique weird role in relation to the other characters. Yeah. So it's like, and he found out white people just in case he fucks up. Going to be a villain. You know, he yeah. fucks up in the first season. He makes some interesting choices, but he's all. But that's the that's the game of the show is that mm-hmm. nobody is one hundred percent. Like you can fall in love with Sam, and then she'll do something, and you'll be like, "What the fuck?" was that about but you don't get to know because guess what you're in coco's episode now and that's yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean and we like i think we make a we really try to make a big deal out of seeing people in their own shoes and then seeing them from someone else's point of view and i think suddenly what we're trying to get at is like this is how we this is how we get into these conflicts is mm-hmm. that we don't really bother to spend the time thinking about a thing through someone else's point of view like we need to be right so badly that we won't even consider what someone else is saying and that's why we can't talk to each other right now i think as a society as a as a whole um my last question about the show that i'm sure people ask you all the time is um is lionel you he is a version of me i would say i'm lionel and sam Mm -hmm. like those are the most dominant parts of my personality. So like when I'm in the mood to be extroverted, cause I'm not naturally an extrovert, mm-hmm. I can be very Samish, but on the inside, I'm very Lionel. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I was certainly very awkward in college and I didn't quite know cause there was no version of this kind of black gayness like out there in the culture, like that I could be like, Oh, that's me. I'm cool. Mm -hmm. So I was always like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to act, what music I'm supposed to. I just didn't have any cultural cues to tell me that whatever I was, was okay. So that very much is, is Lionel. And that's very much me. I think Lionel is a more socially anxious version of me Mm -hmm. (laughs) that didn't quite get it together as soon as I did. Mm -hmm. But you know, certainly being black and gay, but not like any of the other blacks or gays is, yeah. is that's something that Lionel speaks to. But he's getting it together with time. Which Slowly is so but surely. So does know. that kind of black gayness exist now? I think I think that the um, first of all, I think it's a lot better. Like you have, you know, you have people like me and Lionel and you have Lena out there in the world and you have, you know, Brock Hampton out there in the world. You have Frank Ocean. Um, you know, I feel like uh, there have been other out and proud white gay people for a little bit longer. It's getting it's getting better. I think um, one of the things I say all the time is if I was growing up and Lionel was a character in the culture when I was eight or nine or ten, you know, going through adolescence, I would be a lot better adjusted 
maybe I'd be a less successful artist. I don't know, but I would certainly feel a lot better about myself. Um, but the point that we're all trying to make, you know, all of us, uh, queer and people of color artists is that there isn't really one thing. Like it's, we have a multitude of experiences just like white characters do and mm -hmm. shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I don't know that it's a thing in culture, but Lionel's a thing in culture now. Yeah. And that's one thing I can say I contributed to our cultural conversation. Um, and it's really important because representation matters isn't just a it's, a, it's not just a tagline. Like when you grow up and you don't see anything that replicates your experience on TV or in films or in books and stuff like that fucks with you. Like that really tells you subtly that you don't belong or that whatever you are is wrong and it, it can't be spoken about publicly. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a real mind fuck. And, uh, and so, well, I don't know that representation is like, on the top of my list of why I tell stories, it's on the list. It's a very important part of the list. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. What was your substitute? Like what who, who, like who, how did you piece together your Lionel? Man. <sighs> like, like who I was like in college. Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Just like, or, or like, who did you grow up watching and thinking, oh, that's kind of, that's a little bit of me in there. You know what it was? It was, it was friends. I, I went to a performing arts high school. And so I encountered other gay people who were out at a younger age. than I think most people are out. And that helped me like that helped me sort of figure out my personality. Like, how do I, you know, translate? Cause I, it's on my Twitter. Shade is my love language, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I can, you know, I didn't know when I could say jokes and when I could, I didn't know how to be in the world. And my dad died when I was really young. And, and so I had to look up kind of to my friends who had just figured out, figured it out a little bit sooner than I could to help me figure out how I talk to people and walk right. through the world and how I relate, you know? Yeah. So it was really like, um, it was just really like, uh, I would say very charismatic gay folks throughout my life. One of which is Lena, you know, Lena Waithe. Like when we met, um, it, it just felt like, it just felt like we were too, it's like we were in the same star at one mm -hmm. point, you know, like our dust just belongs together. And, um, she is like for sure an extroverted version of me and I'm an introverted version of her. And she's one of those people that helped me figure out how to be black and gay in Hollywood because she kind of had to figure it out when I met her uh -huh. <laughs> and I was still trying to figure that out. You Cause know? she grew up. It's what she, I mean, based on what she said on the show, like with a similar, like kind of lack of um, sense of place. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'm mm -hmm. seeing all of these queer people, but like, I'm not, I'm not all I'm not the way this. I'm yeah. not all the way that. And then realizing like, Oh, there's a ton of other people like me that are somewhere, right. you know, in between. And that we are, you know, a multitude of like types. Yeah. And, the, but the thing about her is that Lena is always confident. Like I've never ever, to be honest with you, seen her. I've never seen her lack self-possession and you know to see somebody so firm in their queerness and blackness despite the fact that they didn't have any of that around them like was pretty remarkable and inspiring to me as a person in my 20s when I met her you know we were in this like kind of casual writers group for all of us that had day jobs but still wanted to be writers mm -hmm. so we get to go on the weekends and we'd workshop our scripts and that's how I met her and we just like I don't know we just really connected and um I, I, there were many times when I didn't believe things would work out. And it was always Lena who gave me the pep talk. Cause she, she would always say fear and faith don't exist at the same time, which is a really cute saying, but for Lena, it's real. Like it's true. Fear and faith don't exist at the <laughs> fear same time. And, fear and faith. So you either have faith or you have fear. 
and wow. she would choose faith. You know, it's going to work out, whatever it may be. And um, I don't know. I, I needed people like that in my life because, like I said, I didn't really get it from my dad. He died too young when, you know, when I was too young and there weren't versions of me and the culture to latch on to. There weren't I had heroes, but none of them were gay or black, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, they'd be maybe black, but they'd be one or the other. They weren't never both, you know. My boyfriend always quote, I think it's an Oprah quote and I'm going to butcher it, but it is, the same. it's like fear is the cheapest room in the house. Yeah. Does that Ooh, ring wow. a bell? That's a and great quote. You I don't deserve know. a better room. I want to say. Is oh the, yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I like, it. I, I, I like where definitely you're going. Not I love for sure that. It's meant to be delivered, but, but that's so true. And isn't yeah. it true for our country too? It's yeah. like, we all are taking the cheap seats oh, right now. Yeah. God in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to take you... a quick break. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll be right back. Okay. More cool. Justin Simeon. Listen, I know you're a podcast listener, and I know that because you can hear me now. Yeah. If you want to take your podcast listening to the next level, guess what? We have something for you. It's called Stitcher Premium. Mm. They have a great holiday deal going on right now because it's the holidays for a limited time. You don't want to miss it. You get 30% off Stitcher Premium when you go to stitcherpremium.com slash premium and use code JINGLE. JINGLE. Stitcher Premium gives you access to hundreds of exclusive shows, bonus episodes, comedy albums. You can listen to the latest uh, season of Wild Horses with Lauren Lapkus and Stephanie Allen, Aaron Whitehead, Mary Holland. The four most hilarious people of all time. Yes. Uh, They sit down in front of a live audience and have a great conversation with celebrity guests like Natasha Lyonne, Karen Kilgariff, who makes me laugh harder than just about anyone on the planet, Georgia Hardstark, Conan O'Brien. What? And then they do improv. Oh, my God. Guys, try it out yourself. Just go to Stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code. Jingle for 30% off. We're back with Justin Simeon. What's poppin'? Justin, you might, you're on a beautiful, I don't know if this is called a Chesterfield. So it looks like something oh, that's yeah. maybe a prop from the show. You know what? It's a prop from someone's show. But <laughs> it's not a mine. Beautiful couch that you might need to recline on if this gets oh, too yeah. deep. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it does get therapeutic. Yeah. On the show from time to time. We're trying to get tears. Kill me. The goal. <laughs> Guys, I'll tell you this. Unless you're Coco, the film that uh, Pixar put out, uh-huh. I don't know if I have any more tears left that movie just this is a tangent i have not cried that hard publicly really ever except for like a funeral maybe maybe when michael jackson died i wailed out into the streets in this in this fashion but like i wept the most bitter tears at the end of coco so good luck topping that that's a great endorsement yeah it's a great film it's a great and i the whole time guys i was like i'm not gonna fucking cry like because all my friends like children's movie yeah all my friends like oh my god i I cried i was like oh it's too bad for you i'm Mm. strong and (laughs) emotionally stable i'll be fine and it was like right down to the wire and like the last five minutes just (laughs) that's michael every episode of this is us he's like (laughs) Yeah, this is the stupidest show. Why am I watching this? And then I look over in the last act, and he's just bawling. It's designed that way. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. It's good. It's a great. It's also life affirming. It's a great movie. Okay. Um, So you mentioned boyfriend earlier. Yeah. Heard that word. How long have you been together? We've been together four years. Four? Yeah. I want to say going on four. I'm sorry, babe. Uh, I think four years. (laughs) I know February is our anniversary, so I feel like we're we're arriving at, at four. 
That's a yeah. solid number. Yeah. And you're cohabitating, I'm assuming. We're cohabitating. We have two cats. So, nice. you know, it's pretty official, guys. Well done. <laughs> Not one, but two cats. Uh, we met on Tinder um, because... You know, at the, it was like, um, it was after the movie came out in Sundance and I really, really wasn't looking to date. I had like my whole life, I'd been like looking for a boyfriend and like yeah. dating and dating and dating. And after Sundance, I was like, I'm just going to have fun. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Who cares? And so I would go, you know, cause gays have no, uh, small amount of apps to use to hook up or hang out or whatever. Uh, so I was using Tinder as kind of like a dating app. I know the straights use it to hook up, but you know, yeah. it has your Facebook friends on there. It's just a way to like know who's normal and we'll have a drink and this doesn't have to be a thing, but we'll see. And we swiped on each other. And, uh, one of my very, very, very close friends, Angel Lopez was a mutual friend. And I was like, yo, who's this dude, Rick? And he was like, well, actually I tried to set you guys up a couple years ago do you remember when i called you to come to this party and you were like i'm busy and i was like i don't remember that angel and so essentially like angel had just been watching this guy rick on his facebook feed thinking for years wow he'd be really good with justin and never said anything and i'm putting wow. you on blast angel lopez <laughs> no but it wasn't uh, it was the perfect time for us to meet and we you know had a drink and i don't know it just sort of became this wonderful thing that I did not expect to happen out wow. of a Tinder date. <laughs> and so before that, when you were like always looking for a boyfriend, were you finding them? <laughs> <laughs> I was finding all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> Such as? Oh man, my twenties were a mess. Um, <laughs> nothing I would, I, I, I would say that I had a boyfriend sort of for a bit. Um, but it was just a lot of experiences. I would say, mm. um, I certainly had to work out some father issues. I think, I mean, my sort of like attraction to the unavailable person mm -hmm. was pretty profound. And yeah. there was a couple instances where like, Oh, I'm just really into Pisces. Cause so mysterious but in retrospect i think i was just like really into like kind of aspie guys for a while like who i could sort of project all kinds of interesting things upon uh -huh. um so i had to go through some things guys okay i had to work some things out i was sure. in therapy the whole time it's fine yeah and when i met rick it was just like it was the first time i met a guy who was so sure about wanting to be with me and it unsettled me because i'd never had that i just never knew what that felt. I was so used to like chasing, you know? And so right when we met each other, I knew that I liked him. And I also knew that something was different that required some growth from me. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would have been ready for that relationship like a few months before it wow. began. And so, um, I don't know. We just kind of decided to take the dive and like really go for it. And it was awesome. And I have to say, like when I really knew I loved him is after we had our first like really big fight and it was a bad one. And we just got to the other side of it and we're better. And I was like, oh, this is a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is how they, this is how this, this is how they work. Like you, you get better and you grow stronger and you figure out how to do things, really difficult things together. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, I don't know. It's just, it's been awesome. It's been really awesome. So you <laughs> came out publicly at Sundance, right? I guess so. I mean, I was never like in the closet. Yeah, no one yeah. knew, I guess, who I was. Yeah. People so, were listening. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know what it was? Actually, Lena and I have talked about this many times. We both sort of, I made a, a promise to myself that if ever I was a person of note, like if people cared what my sexuality was, like I would just say what it was. Because, you know, again, there are kids watching and like 
when I was a kid, all of the people who I was pretty sure highly suspected were gay would never say it. Or there was just nobody that was gay in the public, in popular culture. And I just thought like, it, it needs, you need, people need that. Mm -hmm. They need to hear from you. I really believe that. Um, because the next gay, you know, the sissy black boy in, in Texas, he needs to know that he can, if he wants to be a filmmaker, he can do it, you know? And so someone asked me a question about, uh, I forgot that. Oh, it was good too. It was like a good quip at the time. Shit. Uh, but someone was like, you know, what, what, what made you go in such a queer direction with Lionel? And I was like, well, I'm kind of in a queer direction. And yeah. I just, I just like, fuck it. This is the time. Let's just do it at the start. The yeah. first Q and a, let's mm -hmm. just make it happen. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel lighter or did you were really holding anything back? I felt lighter because, you know, I hadn't, there are people that I hadn't told that I just sort of hoped would find out or assume that they knew or whatever. And it was nice to like declare it in that way and sort of make it a part of my personal story and journey. Cause, um, it's a really bullshit reason for society to force people to feel depressed about. And, you know, kids commit suicide over this and are, you know, kicked out of their families. And what a stupid reason yeah. for that much pain. You know, you're born this way. Like, what? come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's get past this. And also, like, just a cool answer to a question that you're going to be asked for the rest of your yeah, life. Absolutely. You know? like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a Sundance. Yeah, I was Sundance and I told him what to give him the tea. Yeah. <laughs> the tea what about on him. the personal side? Like, when, when, what's your coming out story? Uh, it was multi-staged. Uh, <laughs> my mom doesn't recall it the same way. Um, but they never I, do. I had to come out to her a few times before it, like, stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, and it began it began the night before prom because, um, Oh boy, I haven't told this story. Okay. So it, it began the night before prom because I was going with a friend, um, who like, we just really liked each other. Like we were really, you know, cool with each other. And, um, and I think at the time I was still trying to figure out what my whole deal was, but I was pretty sure I, I definitely liked dudes, but there was this girl who was like, for sure had a crush on me. And she was like trying to get me to ask her. And she was like plying me with presents and cards and stuff. And I was like complaining about it mm -hmm. the night before prom to my mom. And she was like, well, why don't you just take the girl that really likes you? And I was like, well, because mom, I'm, I'm gay. <laughs> and we had this conversation like, well, what do you know what that means? And do you know, like, so you want to do things with men? Yeah, we had that conversation. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do. I want to do all those things with guys. <laughs> and you know, prom happened. And then I went to college and I came back and then she was like talking about some girl at church that was interested in me. And I was like, wait a minute, we had this conversation already. Right. So we had to do it a couple times. <laughs> we had to do it a few times. And when you did it again, was she like, Oh yeah, I, didn't she know was that, just, I think she was, was just like the thing is like my mom isn't a homophobic person yeah. she had gay people in her life but i think f f doing the calculations of her son being gay took her a second you know like i got to be gay for a while before i came out and she it was kind of sprung on her you know what yeah. i mean so she she just had to kind of and i told her kind of right before i left for college so she just had to she had to calculate it and i think um i think my first breakup uh and she just you know I called her and I was in tears and I was upset. And I think that was the moment she got it. You know, it was like, Oh, this is, this is real. He's having all of the real things a person has, but it's just with men and that's normal. And he's my son and I love him. And, you know, I think it clicked for her after I had gone through some life. 
Yeah. Um, but it was multifaceted. Uh, I, Facebook came out right around the time I went to college. Hopefully. So I just did it on Facebook. And nice. I felt the change in the air. Like I walked back into, you know, some classrooms and, and I could just feel that people had read my, my profile. And I just mm-hmm. sort of made it easy. Like I never wanted to like cling on the glass at Thanksgiving and be like, hey, guys, I have something. I just I yeah, loathed yeah. having that moment. So I just sort of I wasn't conflicted about it. I didn't at that time. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. So it took me a minute, Um, but I wasn't conflicted about it by college and I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was this monumental thing to say about myself. It was just part of me. And so my coming out reflected that I just, I never had like a big moment about it. Yeah. And you'd had some time to get comfortable with it Mm -hmm. where, and this is, I'm going to say this wrong, but this is, it feels like for straight people, Mm -hmm. the idea of a gay person, especially a kid declaring themselves. It, it is in their minds that person is making a decision. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even your mom was like, you want to do these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're, you've decided to do these yeah. things. Whereas it, it, it is as though like heterosexuality is. It's innate. It's the, def- yeah, it's the default setting yeah. and everything else you have to like, okay, well I'm, I'm putting in my application to do box. this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which nobody, nobody ever will say to, you know, if a, if like a 13 year old boy is interested in a girl, it's yeah. never going to be like, well, don't make any decisions. You don't know who you yeah, are yeah, yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's sure just, you want to ask that girl out. Yeah. yeah. You might be gay. Like, right. No one, right. Says, yeah. no one gives that lesson. No. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is as though you, you need to like, yeah. you know, get your papers stamped and move to this new yeah. land. You need to be mm-hmm. sure. You need to like have a trial period. Right. Gayness. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's so annoying guys. Like I really wish we could get past this like as a society because i mean everything about it we like if you all of the arguments it's not in nature it absolutely is in nature like there are darwinian reasons for homosexuality that we get now we know that gay men's brains are a little bit different like it's a thing guys like you're born with it everybody calm down sexuality really is a spectrum Uh you know there really are bisexual people and gay people and there are people who are men, but are a little bit more feminine. Like it's, it just, it's human nature guys. Like just fucking calm down. Yeah. Let everybody go to the bathroom where they want and yes. marry who they love and calm the fuck down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have much like bigger things to worry let's about. Let's protect yes, children. Okay. Let's always protect children, mm-hmm. but everybody calm down. Like this is, this is how we're, we are. This is how our, our DNA works. Sometimes we're gay guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's fine. Legislating it is only going to make yeah. things worse. And yeah. You're and we've all, and by the way, sometimes we've all, we've always sometimes been gay. Like look at the fucking Roman society. First of all, I'm obsessed with Roman society, the way they worked with gayness. It's very convoluted, but they found space for it in their sure. culture. It's like, mm-hmm. you can't marry a man. You can't be with a citizen, but you can go to the bathhouse and get it in go for it. Uh-huh. That was allowed, you yeah. know? And it's like encouraged. You, it was go. encouraged yeah. in fact, because they recognize this is, a, this is a part of human nature. Um, now, you know, especially in the hashtag me too moment movement, there are things that as a society, we need to obviously always, think about like protecting kids. That's important. Um, and you know, protecting women and protecting other people who are disenfranchised. That's all important, but let's not use that as a reason, you know, like the whole pedophilia as an argument against gay, gay people is so stupid. It's so stupid, you know, and half of these guys who are out here saying all the shit about who can't be gay and where they can go to the bathroom. They're the main ones. They're well, of course the main they ones. 100%. Like, you know, harassing their male interns and hiring prostitutes. And they're the main ones. Like, 
always the freakiest. <laughs> always. Yeah. Did you read the latest one? I think he was in Ohio. Oh God, no. Sounds right. Uh, yeah. Sounds um, right. Ohio Republican mm-hmm. senator. The Ohio check, Republican check, check. state senator <laughs> and married and super anti-gay. Of course. But would send these things via Snapchat, mm-hmm. which wow. there's, there's your like first right. red flag. Yeah. Right. Uh, but to his assistants being like... Hey, bro, like, or, you know, are you, you got a boner or whatever, or oh just like, God. you know, is your shirt off? And just like these things that are so like a 13 year, like a stunted 13 stunted, year old. Yeah. And, uh, Hey, you better come over here and you know, whatever. And it's like, and he actually said, we're both alphas. So it wouldn't be gay. Oh, wow. was like, my. Look, go find a calendar. It is 2017. God. We are past this now. And is we he hot? Be. Or, I mean, uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> It's so so infuriating. It truly is. It truly is. And yet to, it forces us to prove a negative. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like to, if, if we, if that is not our predilection, we have to say like, it's, it's impossible to prove a negative. And and you're really fucked if you're bi, by the way, because so many, you know, gay folks, because it's really hard to be gay. We, you know, maybe take a trip to buy town. I, I tried it. I, I, you know, I, I put that rumor out about myself for a second before I fully came out. This in, um, in college? No, this is to my mom. Actually. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Well, I'm starting to understand. Mom, I, might be, I might yeah. be by. Anyway, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but it sucks because like, you know, as a gay man, you're like, you have to fight so hard to be gay and I'm not this and I was born this way and da, da, da. And, but what if there's no room for exploration? Yeah. Like what if you fall in love with a girl one day? Like, it's like all of these things should just be allowed. Like all of the rules need to come down because they're not really protecting anybody. They're just making us more repressed and they're creating really insane Ohio senators. Apparently. Yeah. It's not working. Lame khaki ass. Lame khaki uh, ass. Lame khaki ass. Those are my people. <laughs> um, so you and Rick, it's been four years. Mm-hmm. Is there a next step on the horizon or are you getting that question a lot? Fucking question. That's how long Um, I've been. I'm getting it all the time too. Yeah. All the time. I mean, here's the thing. Me and Rick really love each other. I think that marriage is something that is for sure on the table and something like if I'm going to get married, it's going to be to this guy. Um, But I never grew up with the fantasy of marriage. Like my parents weren't married. Um, I, once I realized I was gay, I never thought I would be married. And so it being a thing I can do now, I haven't had a chance to like dream about it the way mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have. Um, and I'm, and not just straight people, like gay people dream of being married. I never had that dream. So like, I'm not against it. I just like, I'm not chomping at the bit. Like we're happy. We live together. We have a complete, we have a very combined life and we have personal goals and couple goals and we're doing all that stuff. So like the marriage part of it, I have to kind of catch up to it, you know, yeah. like I have to want it. I have to dream for it. Uh, we both sort of do before we do it. Um, and I think if we decide we want to have kids one day, like that makes a lot of sense for us to get married. Um, but right now we're just enjoying loving each other and figure and like being together yeah. <laughs> and, and taking over the world. Yeah. Cause by the way, that's hard enough. Yeah. Just like being in a stable relationship. It takes some work. Yeah. Okay? And it takes time. <laughs> yeah. And we're not both of the industry. So we have completely different, um, professional lives. Um, you know, we, we like, we're on opposites attract kind of a couple and we, I don't know, like we, we fucking earned 
our four years. You know what I mean? Like we worked hard for it and I just want to chill for a second and enjoy it. <laughs> you got before we right? start, before yeah. I got to start thinking about like, you know, okay, so we should tell each other we're going to propose, but then pretend like we forgot about it so it can still be a surprise. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I, so then we can start looking at adoption in like 2018, maybe yeah, like just, Q3. Oh, yeah, I yeah. can't like, I, let me, I need to, I think I need to get bored with making movies and TV <laughs> for a little bit. Cause that's where all of my organizational mind energy goes yeah. like i don't want to organize the love that we already have just mm-hmm. yet but mm-hmm. we'll get there i think at some point uh-huh. what was the what was the justin of his 20s like oh. like talk talk me through your process she was a when plot. you yeah <laughs> so it's friday night what is what is well 20s justin oh That's man so well it depends on what stage of the 20s but friday nights mostly i was trying to get to akbar or, uh, I really hate it. I've always kind of hated West Hollywood, but I, but I do it, you know, but I'm trying to g- be in a gay environment where I could also consume alcohol, uh, and meet somebody and like have an experience, you know what I mean? And, um, I didn't realize that I had total clinical depression. And so I was kind of a hot mess in ways that I thought were super normal, <laughs> but they were not like, how? um, well, you know, I just like, I, I was just talking about this. I go back to all my journal. I, I actually started doing like a dive into some of my old journal entries because I thought like, oh, I just want to like see like what 20s Justin was like and just be inspired by him and like fall in love with myself again. And it was so fucking emo. Like I was so like, it's never going to work out and this life just about, you know, am I just going to be a raisin in the sun? And (laughs) I was just like so fucking dramatic and like so like distraught about everything. Like I, I had a good job, but I wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I would complain about not being a filmmaker yet. And how will I ever get my project? made and like how you know being black and gay in LA is fucking weird because there is no like club night for you I mean there's Mm -hmm. like a there's like a black gay night now at the Abbey I think but even that version of black gay like I've never worked out enough for that Mm -hmm. um so yeah so I'm just like I was just an average person who wasn't a bear but I wasn't like a twink and I was I wasn't any of the things and so like a lot of my complaining is like I'm not any of the things and when I go to these places I feel totally invisible and I think that person likes me because they looked at me once I mean it's really pathetic stuff (laughs) totally natural Just, just like clinging on to the little like pieces of hope uh-huh. <laughs> I could get yeah. from life. Yeah. Um, but I also like, I just, you know, I would always see those like uh, depression commercials on TV and just think to myself because I was raised Catholic and then I got really religious and then I got kind of like uh, new agey religious and I started meditating and I was all about, uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. and I was all about Oprah Winfrey and I was just all, I was, I was all the, great A's. All the A's, you know what I'm saying? And so I would just tell myself, Oh, well they just don't know their life's purpose. That's why they're so sad. Yeah. You know, like if they would just sit down and journal or meditate or watch, you know, super soul Sunday, they'd figure this stuff out. And it really wasn't until I made the movie got my boyfriend, could pay my rent. Everything was fucking great. And I could not get out of bed. And I, I just wow. like, I, something ended up in my email and I clicked the link and I looked at this article and I ended on this book that just very matter of factly described the symptoms of depression. I don't know how I got there. And I was like, Oh, these are all of the things that I am. So these things are not how everyone else lives. <laughs> got it. Okay, cool. So a lot of my twenties honestly was undiagnosed depression and anxiety, just wreaking havoc on my life and keeping yeah. me from really enjoying what was a great 
life. Like I had a great, I always had a great job, always had great friends. And I just spent my whole time wishing I was somewhere else. And And it's great for people to hear that. Like if you're, especially like in LA, I mean everywhere, but when, when you're, you're chasing something Mm -hmm. and your life is not, your career is not where you want to be, whatever that you are unhappy and you can very easily tell yourself because the culture tells you like, it's because you don't have the 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 circumstances. Yes. But you literally had got had had all of it. I literally then, had to like have a conversation with myself where I was like, I am not worried about rent. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about love. I'm not worried about where I live, and I'm not worried about my career. So why am I so miserable? <laughs> why is this so hard? And once I didn't have anything to put it on, and also like my new aginess evolved into a very serious Buddhist practice right around the time I made the movie. And so not only was I contemplative, but I had a regular practice to like self-reflect every day. Oh, wow. And so was that the book that fell into your lap? No, this was a book on, this was just a book on depression. Um, I honestly forget the name of the book. I should talk about it more cause it really changed yeah, my life yeah. and I don't remember the name of it. Sorry. Um, no, but I was, uh, yeah, I was just in a, in a space where I was really trying to figure it out, you know? And, uh, um, I, what I realized is that like happiness is independent of these things. Like I have to be a happy person in order to make art and not be miserable and not make other people around me miserable while I'm making this art. But it, it, the art doesn't make me happy. Like the art makes me fulfilled and Mm -hmm. does something for me that like is beautiful and I would never give up. But happiness is separate, you know, and I I really had to figure that out. And I had to come to terms with the fact that there were some genetic factors and some some family history factors that I had no control over. And I had to accept that nothing I could do, no amount of journaling would ever make like, you know, my brain chemistry go back. Like, it's just not how that works. Or if it did, it would take me my whole life. So, you know, I really had to embrace like pills, and yeah. <laughs> like a psychiatrist and okay. yeah, the I was whole situation. Ask, how, how did you address it? Well, I had already been in therapy at that point. So, and, and obviously I was a Buddhist. So I had, I literally was like, I'm doing all the things except mm-hmm. for pursuing, you know, medicine yeah. for it. And, um, so, and I, you know, I did a bunch of research. I understand that like all the pill, like all the medication for depression is like, uh, maybe it'll work. Mm-hmm. And we just, I, I was just like, well, it might take a few years to figure out what the, the cocktail yeah, is, yeah. but let's start now. And I just did it. <laughs> we and just, so is that still your approach, like kind of an Eastern meets Western approach? Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, in my off time, which is weird. Like I listen to books. I listen to a lot of philosoph- philosophical stuff on consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I am pretty East West in terms of like Western science and Eastern philosophy in terms of how I, my beliefs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you know, my spiritual practice is Buddhism. And, um, I still, you know, I grew up Catholic and there are elements of that tradition that I still love and revere, but this is what works for me. It's inspiring to know that you can be a Buddhist, uh, like with a serious practice and still appreciate the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh yeah. You have to come on now. That's all. I mean, the funny thing is like in a lot of weird ways, that's what Buddhism is about. Cause you know, I, I, uh, one of the things that we, that, and there's very many different kinds of Buddhism, by the way. But in Nietzschean Buddhism, which is a sect that I practice, there's this thing called the 10 worlds. Uh, and it's all the like levels of consciousness. And it's everything from like, you know, animality, like just I'll kill anything for food all the way up into like Buddha nature. And the idea is that the, you can, the Buddha nature exists in all of them. Yeah. So like you have, at a, at a certain point, you just have to like, 
I'm enjoying this really fucking shitty, ridiculous, not shitty, but silly, yeah, yeah. inconsequential show. And that's great. And it's joy. Yeah. <laughs> and I can have a more like heightened version of spiritual joy later. But right yeah. now, this is what I'm experiencing and it's okay. <laughs> Would you say that like the, all the, the external world and the work and all that stuff it has gotten easier and come to you more naturally because you have kind of realized it doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. Because you know what it does? It's, 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 um, I felt really focused on what was important to me. And those are the things that I pursued. And those are the things that I chased. And those are the things that always have worked out in my life, but they were confused with things that I felt like I should be doing and things that I felt like I should be feeling, um, things I felt like I was supposed to say yes to. Um, I stopped saying yes to those things. What and, were those things? Well, just like, you know, um, there was a moment when like, I realized, Oh, I could be, I could be a talking head if I wanted to, like, I could like keep going on speaking engagements. I could get myself on CNN again. I could start talking about like the political, I could just do that. Yeah. And it was easy because the, I was getting a lot of offers. I wrote a book. We had, a, you know, this movie about race. And so I was touring and talking about it. Like, you know, and I just had to sort of, you know, it was so easy to just say yes to these things, make a little money here, you know, promote the book there, et cetera. And I just had to say, you know, no, I don't want that to be my life. I actually would prefer not to know what I'm going to do next year for money and just spend this next few months working on, you know, X, Y, and Z. And those are the projects that are in development now. And, you know, Dear White People, the TV show was one of those things where like, as I was touring with the movie, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm hearing all these stories from these students and these faculty members. Let me start writing this down in, in case one day I, it, uh, I get to make a show out of this. And I mean, that's really mm -hmm. what I've been doing since the, the, the movie came out of Sundance is just really trying to follow the stuff that's speaking to me and not do the things that like I'm supposed to do. Cause I'm at a particular stage in my career or right. something like a television show is not supposed to be like the next thing you do after your debut movie at Sundance. Like that's not a normal step. Yeah. And I'm very aware of that, <laughs> but it's, it's, it was the next step for me. Cause that's what I was passionate about. And when Lionsgate asked me, have you thought about a TV show? I had already thought about a TV show. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a general, I had a PowerPoint presentation cause I did it just for fun on my own in my hotel room. Oh. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I was ready for those moments cause I was just sort of chasing the stuff I loved already. And, um, I mean, that's, I think that's gotta be the philosophy, right? Yeah. <laughs> as long as it it's works for me, yeah. it, it didn't work for a long time. Like chasing stuff I love didn't make me any money before. So now yeah. I'm just sort of like, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so interested in the, the Buddhism thing, like, especially when you are busy, mm -hmm. like what, what does your practice look like? So, um, so I, I, I'm part of a lay organization called the SGI and the SGI, uh, facilitates something called Nitrium Buddhism, which is essentially it's a chanting practice. So, mm -hmm. uh, you've probably seen like what's love got to do with the Tina Turner mm -hmm. chants, Nami Horenge Kyo. So it's that, it's that sect of Buddhism. Mm. And so it's, uh, I chant twice a day. Sometimes a minute, sometimes five minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. Um, but I, I, I just like have some quiet time. I would, you know, get to set early most days. I, I won't say I did every day, but a lot of days I would just try to get here a few minutes early just to be in my office and just center myself a bit and, um, tried to do it at night when I could. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really the practice and it's, <clears throat> There's a lot of study to read, there's stuff to read, and there's a community element to the SGI, which I'm a part of. Um, but it, it's all about the practice, I think. Yeah. It's all about sort of like um, 
the philosophy is like, do you just, you're, you're, you're deciding to be happy. Like you're deciding to accept everything in your life, exactly how it is. And just deciding instead to be happy. Like that's really what the practice is. And, and just making that simple choice leads you to all sorts of other roads that are seem crazy yeah. and really difficult to go down. But because I have the practice, I just keep going down the road. Like the depression thing, like I was really lost for a while. Cause just because I found a psychiatrist, like I didn't find a formula that worked. It didn't go away overnight. So like just to kind of stick it through, like was pretty hard. And like, I, you know, I, I used to hear these stories about filmmakers and actors who like get, you know, they become alcoholics or they become really addicted to sex or drugs and they, they act out and they're mean to their their crew and they, their nightmares. And I could easily see how that could happen to anybody because mm. this industry is nuts. And like just the anxiety of waiting in between your projects and you get your project, then it's a shit show because it's under budget and you're getting all these, it, you can go crazy so easily yeah. and you can avoid the hard things. And I just sort of, I think the Buddhist practice made me just embrace the hard things, like the hard things I had to do. Like I had to figure out this depression thing. I just had to do it. Um, I couldn't run away from it because my practice wouldn't let me, right. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it started off really fun and like kumbaya. And then it became like sort of like ex like mental exercise, <laughs> but it, it got me through, man. It really did. And is it something like, is it part of your relationship too? Uh, Rick doesn't practice. No. Uh, he'll sometimes like chant with me, especially like if something's going on with him and he really encourages me to chant because <laughs> he recognizes that I'm in a much better mood <laughs> when yeah. I do. Yep. Like we'll be like, just like, I'll be really shady or snippy and be like, so, um, I think you should like spend like some time, you know, in your office, yeah, like, just yeah, chanting, yeah. you know, so that's as much as it's entered our relationship, <laughs> but I'm also like, you know, we just talked about it cause you asked me, but I'm not, I don't like proselytizing. It's like, it's a thing that works for me. Mm -hmm. It works for a lot of people. I'm in a community of people where it works and that's it. You know, like that's, that's as far as I go with it. I'm not, I don't think of it like a religion yeah. in that way. I think of it as a practice that is supported by a larger community. Wow. Yeah. Justin. Oh, Justin. What are you doing this over is, the holidays? I talked Can you a give lot. Us no, this is are we great. Still, we're yeah. still talking, right? I just feel yeah. like I have an answer thing. I just feel like I've just been monologuing. Well, no, we came good. here to oh tell you. Yeah. Jesus we came. What's happening holiday-wise for you? Um, so my mom is coming to town. Rick's mom is coming to town um, as his brother. My cousin's coming. We're having it here. I basically don't really have a lot of days off. Right. <laughs> so they we're just doing it here. Yeah. I we Last time we went to George, we went to Rick's home, and then we went to my home. This time we're just stay and put. So they're going to come. I'm trying to track down a brine turkey as we speak. Um, okay. And uh, we're going to make food and have Christmas and yeah. then hang out and nice. enjoy some edit. weather. Yeah. Edit and, you know, enjoy cannabis being legal. <laughs> hey, that should be a part of any good person. And practice. my Nintendo switch. Like these Love are the it. things I plan to do. This is a dream holiday. Yeah. Justin, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you guys for awesome. having thank me. Welcome back anytime. Season two. Yes, soon. sir. We're doing it. Justin Simeon. I'm going to go ahead and say this was the greatest showman on earth. What's the name of the movie? Hey, the Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman on Earth is Justin Simeon. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I uh, I really enjoyed him. Uh, season two of Dear White People is coming imminently. Or the just white people, as I like to call it. <laughs> white <laughs> people, the show.
Man, this last season of White People is like crazy. We're in season number 2017. Yeah, and the writers have run out of ideas. They really have. We are really doing some crazy shit this season. Anyway, thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, thank you, Dana Wickens. Thank you, Colin Anderson. Thank you, all of Earwolf. Thank Chris you, Brett Morris. Thank you, Ryan Connor. Thank you, uh, Justin Simeon. And uh, thank you, Brittany, um, for making it all happen. Mm-hmm. Ben Wise for the music. Thank you for listening. We love you. Have uh, a merry. Have you a guys. very merry Christmas. See you next week. Guys, just a reminder to check out Dr. Game Show on Earwolf. Oh, it sounds like such a fun show. Yes. Each episode has host Joe Firestone and Manolo Moreno playing listener-created games with their comedian friends. And listeners can call in so you can be part of the show. They play games like What's Your Primary Utensil, Rad Dad, Sauce Boss. There's really no way an ad can even express how crazy and funny the show is. You have to hear it. Listen and subscribe to Dr. Game Show on your podcatcher of choice. Follow Dr. Game Show on Facebook and Twitter so you can participate when they record their episodes. You're too excited about it. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, Jazos. <laughs> Ruler of the eighth circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.